Hey, what's up, everybody in Free Me Podcast land? I just want to say quickly before we get into this episode, please like, subscribe, share the message, man. I can't grow if y'all don't help me grow. I can only get big on the shoulders of giants. So it's all up to you, man. If you like the message and you think that there's people out there that need to hear this message, get it out, please. You can visit me on Facebook under Thomas Free Me. You can visit my page, Free Me Podcast. You can do all of these things, man, but it's up to you to do it. If you have any um, suggestions, please, you can go to the message box. You can leave me a message, voicemail. And if there's anybody on the show that you want to donate to, you can find the link to do so at the GoFundMe. Um, Again, Free Me Podcast. You can find it at my website, www.cominghomecoalition.com. You can find it on my my Instagram name. You can find it. If you want to do it, you can find it. That's all I'm telling you to do. So, peace and love. I love you guys for tuning in and listening and supporting me. Thank you very much. I'm doing this for you guys, trying to help everybody improve their lives so my life can be improved. And the fuckery will stop and people quit fucking my ears off. Peace. I'm out. Enjoy the show. Hello, 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 my people, man, my free me people. What's going on? How's everyone doing, man? Peace and love. Peace and love to everyone. I hope that this message, these vibes are reaching your eardrums right now and penetrating down to your brain and just sending nothing but good vibes, good vibrations. If you're in a down spirit, let it go. Listen to these vibes. Pick yourself up. Hopefully today's today's message, man, will help uh, help people understand exactly what it is that I'm talking about here. So, first and foremost, you know, I haven't done anything um, since before Thanksgiving. I've taken a little break, been dealing with some some personal issues, and um, I just want to say that I, I hope that all my American listeners had a, a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope that. You know, you, it was just a day of a day of forgiveness, you know, and a day of of bonding, a day of love, just a day of smiles, you know. Even though the football games were some shit, but I'm sorry, but <clears throat> it's, it's always we always have to remember, man, just to in in spite of everything that's going on around us. To just let it go, you know, let it go, especially if we don't have any control over it. And if we do have control, take the initiative to to handle whatever the issue is so you can let it go at that point. And then we can just continue on and, and into a rhythmic flow. You know, life is a rhythmic flow. And once you get into that flow, it's a beautiful thing. I promise you, no matter what's going on around you, you know. After my interview with Miss Penny Pierce, um, you can go back and catch that if you haven't. You know, it it put a lot of things back in perspective for me because, again, a lot of these beliefs is is what I try to instill for my life because I honestly do believe in in what that discussion had to do with. And if I do believe that, then I have to start living in that fashion. If I do believe that 
I'm the creator of everything around me, then I have to start living in that fashion, you know? If, if I truly do believe that thought creates everything that we see, right, then I have to live in that fashion. I have to make sure that my thoughts are pure, my actions are pure. And in order to do that, we have to understand that the devil has free reign of this environment. Whichever your devil is, right? And the devil that I'm speaking of is, is temptation, egoism, material aspects, you know, materialism, idolism, things of that nature that we can get caught up in every day, right? Out of perception of what has been taught to us from society to believe what is good or bad. So how do we get out of that perception? How do we even know that we're living in that perception, right? And these are tough facts to face, man, and and, and they're tough questions to ask. But the only thing that I can suggest is that you can never go wrong with knowledge. You can never go wrong with education. But don't take your education from others. Don't, Don't instill education into you from others that you may not even know that may be fools, right? We'll get into fools here in a second. But research for yourself by asking questions and knowing the information that you're taking in is information that you agree with. You know, Socrates once said something that was very, very vital for me. And, And he said it very simplistically when he said, you know, you can go to the market and you can buy wares from, from your local market, man, your local trader, whatever the wares are. And you can take them home and you can discover that you do not like these wares. And you can bring these wares, the Apple books, whatever it is, you can bring them back to the market, man, and exchange them for other wares that you may like. That is true. But when it comes to knowledge, when it comes to education, these are this these are wares that you cannot return so you have to be very very careful of the market man that you get these wares from because they're they're not returnable once it's once it's in you it's in you you can't undo it it's there <clears throat> so you always have to be careful of what i like to call my garden which planter do I allow into my garden to plant seeds? I want to know that this planter is clean, that he's factual, that he knows what he's doing. And we do this by just questioning. Am I allowing a fool to come in here and harvest into my garden? Or am I allowing somebody that knows how to harvest and knows how to grow good fruit? Because it's my garden. It's my garden. I want the best fruit out of my garden. So I'm going to allow the best people to come in and harvest in my garden. So we have to understand how to decipher fools. And we have to ask these questions, right? We have to ask ourselves, like, who is this person that's, that's accusing me? Who is this person that is judging me? Who is this person that is opining on, on my success, on my failures, right? Instead of just taking this person in as, 
face value because they're a brother or a mother or a father or a friend, right? But it's knowing this person and understanding this person and who this person is before I allow you to influence my decisions in any kind of way of who I am or where I'm going in life. So I, I ran across an author a while back by the name of Robert Greene. He has many successful books on on how to be aware in life and what to be aware of. You know, the obstacles and the pitfalls of of human personality. And he does it so marvelously in, in his books because he transcends time and he just lays out history in factual evidence as to the discussion that may be at hand on, on whatever whatever the decision is or the, the, the personal attribute that may be in discussion. So upon, upon reading in one of his books called Mastery by Robert Greene, I happened upon a chapter where he discusses about, you know, foolery. And, and the influence that, that fools can have on people and the, the virus that spreads from, from that miseducation, you know? So how do we spot fools? What is a fool? We say it every day. You're a fool, man. Get away from me, fool. But do we, do we honestly know what a fool really is and what that fool represents? And the way that this man laid it out you know, again, simplistically for, for any commoner can to, to understand. So how he explains it is in the course of your life, you will be continually encountering fools. There are simply too many to avoid. We can classify people as fools by following, by this following rubric. When it comes to practical life, what should matter is getting long-term results and getting the work done in as efficient and creative of a manner as possible. Now, that is in a practical person's life. Understanding, right, that it's not about the short term. It's about where I'm going to be when I retire. What position am I going to be in life when I retire? I'm going to be old. I can barely move. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be tired, Body, mind, soul, tired. This is a grueling, grueling process that we go through. And we're tired when we get in our old age. And the last thing we want to be worried about is how bills are going to be paid. How sturdy is my income? How sturdy is my house, my life? You know, it's, it's time for me to relax, unwind, really enjoy who I am as a human being as as I've evolved over all of these years and seeing the fruits of my labor um, start to produce itself. I mean, to me, that's what old age should be. So practical people, this is what they strive for. They work hard every day to make this a possibility in their lives, right? Going back to the book, that should be the supreme value that guides people's actions the supreme value but fools 
carry with them a different scale of values. They place more importance on short-term matters, grabbing immediate money, getting attention from the public or media, and looking good. They are ruled by their ego and insecurities. How many people can you think of right now are ruled by their ego and insecurities? Just stop and just think of how many people are around you just in your personal life. We're not talking about public figures anywhere that we're talking about your personal life. How many people are in your life right now that are ruled by their ego and insecurities? Whether they say that they're not is irrelevant. But for you, as you know what ego and insecurity to be, how many fit this description? Man, I can name so many. And and the thing of it is, is that when I'm reading this and I'm I'm saying, dang, man, that's it's sad to say, but that's that's a lot of my family. That's a these are a lot of people that have been around me since I've been a child, ever since I first started processing information. Right? So what does that mean? Does that mean that I am ruled by my ego and insecurity? Well, it would have to be if this was my environment. And this is what made me start looking at myself and my actions. Are they, where, where was this decision that I made, was it egoistic? Was it, was it out of insecurity? Did I, did I attack this man because what he was saying about me was true and I knew that it could be? And it, it infuriated me because because I know I'm insecure about it and it embarrassed me, whatever. So I wanted to lash out and attack this man to to hurt him because he hurt me. So these are the actions that it, that that I had to start pondering on, right? Because I don't want to be no fool, right? So going back to the book, they are ruled by their ego insecurities and insecurities. They tend to enjoy drama and political intrigue for their own sake. When they criticize, they always emphasize matters that are irrelevant to the overall picture or the argument. Again, very important. How many times are you in a discussion with someone and instead of instead of the overarching point that you're trying to make because we're not the most articulate people, we're not the most educated people, but we have feelings and we understand those and we're trying to explain and express those. And a fool isn't going to pay attention to the overarching um, sentiment that you're trying to explain, but they're going to pick apart small little fractions of what you say and, and take them as side notes to try to discount you and make you look silly because you mispronounced the word or even used the wrong word in a sentence, right? Again, these are fools because they're, they're ruled by their ego and their insecurities. And, and you may be right in what you're saying and they may know that, but they're trying to deflect that. Instead of just saying, you know what, I agree with you, they would rather discount you, make you look silly. This is what fools do. Going back, they are more interested in their career and position than in the truth. You can distinguish them by how little they get done or by how hard they make it for others to get results. 
Again, perception. You can distinguish them by how little they get done. People are very, very, very good at making things look like they get results and get things done. But when you go back and you start and you want, and you know you pull the rug back on that dirt, you'll see that a lot of times people take credit for other people's work. You know, and when you start to see these things, you start to question this person as a as a personal person. Yes, he may be able to provide results, right? No question, and he may be able to provide very good results, and 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 award him a high figure, you know, figure salary because of this. But at the end of the day, for him and himself, right? How little does he get done in his life as a, as a human being personally? Not at instructing others or having others do the work for him and him take credit for it. But how, how much is he really getting done? Or she, or this person, however. Forgive my male chauvinism because I do tend to uh, use the, the male as a, as a lot of examples, good or bad. But again, these are, these are things that have been ingrained in me that, that just come out naturally, you know? So, and it's just all about, about correcting. So going back, they are more interested in their career and positions than in the truth. You can distinguish them by how little they get done or by how hard they make it for others to get results. They lack a certain common sense, getting all worked up about things that are not really important while ignoring problems that will spell doom in the long term. This right here is the most egregious sentence out of, out of the whole paragraph that I'm sharing, right? They lack a certain common sense. Now, a fool will sit here and argue with you, right? And, and you have to make the determination like, is this person making sense? On face value, they may be saying something that makes sense, and that's what keeps them in the argument, right? That's what keeps them relevant. And this is what's going on in the world today is a lot of that, a lot of parroting. People see something on the news, right? They'll catch a little five-minute clip of, of a news article, and instead of researching the whole, uh, the, the whole circumstance that this news is, media is, is now editing down to a five-minute segment, right? Instead of researching that whole, that whole circumstance to get a, a valid opinion, they'll just take what they heard and they want to be educated. Everybody wants to sound smart. Everybody wants to be smart. Everybody wants to be smart, and this is why everybody wants to sound smart, because they're just not as smart as, as they want to sound, and they don't want to put that effort into truthfulness so they pair it in any conversation and they'll pair it now if they have a disagreement say this this fool runs across an educated individual that researched the whole circumstance and this fool just throws out uh the five minute edited version off cnn now this educated man right is going to question okay but how do you suppose this happened or this happened and how do you suppose the result came out from this? 
Now, because this fool never researched, he can't answer these questions. So what does he do? Now he's caught in a dilemma because he, he started off sounding and wanting to sound educated. But now when he's questioned on these things that he, he never put in no, no work and no research for, what is he going to do? He's, he's not going to openly admit, I'm a fool. So he's going to finagle. He's going to manipulate. He's going to try to... He's going to try to distract the conversation away from what the original content was, right? And how do you do that? Well, you start deflecting back onto the speaker at hand. This happens all the time. So now the educated man who is now questioning the fool, right? The fool has no response. So therefore, he retaliates against the educated man by saying something like, well... What do you know? Or what experience do you have? You know? And, and there's the distraction. So right in that moment, the educated man, if he's wise enough, is going to say, I'm dealing with a fool. Right? And part ways. Agree to disagree and part ways because anything after that is going to be ugly. As... Robert Greene says, getting worked up about things that are not really important while ignoring problems that will spell doom in the long term. I, I just had a conversation like this, you know. But before I get into that, let me finish here, you know. So, moving back to the book. The natural tendency with fools is to lower yourself to their level. They annoy you, get under your skin, and draw you into a battle. Again, I repeat, the natural tendency with fools is to lower yourself to their level. They will annoy you, get under your skin, and draw you into a battle. That's exactly what I was talking about, about the deviation, the distraction that the fool's going to throw out there to get you off your flow to bring you to his level. He's now on an emotional level because you're educated, you understand what's going on, and you simply are just asking for clarification as to what this fool just said. Right? So now the fly, ah, you idiot, how are you gonna, what are you doing? Nah. And, and he gets all worked up and emotional because his, his card has just been pulled. Right? That's their natural tendency. In the process, you feel petty and confused. You lose a sense of what is really important. You cannot win an argument or get them to see your side or change their behavior because rationality and results do not matter to them. You simply waste valuable time and emotional energy. Do you understand this? Right? Their, 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 their rationality of, of, of arguing with you isn't about making a point to the overarching discussion. It's about little minute wins that they can get in there to flush their ego. Ah, did you hear that guy? Did you hear how he mispronounced that word? He said, he said, befuddled instead of 
be fuckled or whatever. You know, something stupid. You know, some ridiculous thing. And and this is this is again what is going on every day in society that I see from my experience of dealing with people every day. I'm surrounded by a bunch of fools, you know. And and yes, you waste valuable time and more importantly, emotional energy. You 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 waste time in the energy, right? Because think about it. Think about this here. Think about your everyday life. You're on a flow, right? Let's just say you're in you're in the middle of the uh, of, of Publix. You're in the middle of Publix. You got a large shopping menu to go through. You got twenty guests coming over for Thanksgiving. You don't have time for no fuckery, okay? You got a fool now, which could be. It could be your husband. It could be your wife. It could be anybody, right? That is distracting you off your flow over something that's minute and really does not matter to the goal at hand. Whatever it could be. You see? They pull you off your square because you're not emotionally checking yourself. Right? They call you. They pull you off your square. You're, you're now discombobulated. You can't think about the list. You forgot where you were at on the list. You're in the middle of Publix. You know, this person's yelling in your phone. You're distracted. You're embarrassed. Pulls you completely off your square. Now, however long that goes on, usually that isn't no two or three minute thing. It's usually a 10, 15 minute ordeal. By the time that gets done, it takes you another 10 or 15 minutes to really just unwind and, and recenter and focus yourself if you're that strong of a character. Some people may not even recenter. They may just fuck off their whole shopping trip and then they go home and, and raise hell at the house about how, how they done screwed this up and, and, and the whole thing's given maybe off kilter just from that one incident. These are the incidences. These are the distractions that happen in everybody's life at all times that we have to eclipse. We have to stop and, and overcome this, this, these behaviors and spot them because any one of us is able to do it at any time. I'm able to lose control at any time. It's just about the triggers. What triggers what? So summing up, in dealing with fools, you must adopt the following philosophy. A fool is just simply a part of life. Like rocks, furniture, chairs, whatever. They're just there. All of us has foolish sides. Moments in which we lose our heads and think more of our ego or short-term short -term goals. There's no question about that. And, and, and I do it a lot. Again, I was raised up under an, an, a male, chauvinistic, and egoistic lifestyle. Material, material, material. It's all about what you produce. Material, material. And it's very hard for me to, to break that, right? So it, we all have it. it. It is human nature. Seeing this foolishness within you, you can then accept it in others. This will allow you to smile at their antics, to tolerate their presence as you would a silly little child. 
and to avoid the madness of trying to change them because in the end it is all part of the human comedy the human comedy and it is nothing to get upset about or lose sleep over and that's the bottom line you know that is how we spot fools now knowing that how many are around you how many do you interact with every day in any circumstance no matter where you're at as I was getting ready to get into earlier you know I had uh, a blowout with a family member of mine you know my brother my brother is is a fool you know um, and and I have come to the grips that this is there you can't change this person I'm not responsible for any other human being other than myself not my child no no one else when it comes to when it comes to personal actions I cannot tell anybody else how to think how to act what to be all I can do is make suggestions that are based upon my experiences in life and this discussion just turned sideways very very quickly because you know this person my brother has a lot of internal myths mistruths about himself that he just he refuses to come to grips with and how do i know this because i see it in in his actions in daily life and how he he attacks life how he lives his life and and it's ugly you know and and for me you know and i don't want any part of it and i've never expressed any of my opinions to him because again he's very very closed-minded he's very egotistical he's all about self-gain and and that's what he is about his life that's and that's fine that may be the right way to live i have no idea i just don't feel like it is for me for me living in truth about self you know is is what is important to me and the, you know it, it's just it, it's like he says a comment right this now here again is a is a fool making a foolish comment the comment was you're a closed person and you've put yourself on an island now what he was referring to is because I don't communicate my my personal life with with family members because I understand the family members that I have you know I've taken a look at them not as family members but as as people and I've I've made my judgments based upon just actions that have occurred to me personally you know I can't judge somebody about how they they treat another person because I don't know anything about that circumstance i can only judge based upon how a person treats me so he's never asked this again 
This is another point about fools. Fools will not ask questions. They only make insinuations as if they know. Again, this is a person that's ruled by their ego. You know, they, they know. They, they think that they've assessed and, and they've educated themselves and they can make an educated opinion about your life and what you got going on. Yet they've never asked a question about anything. So this was the statement. You've secluded yourself from the family and you've put yourself on an island. Okay, now, my simple response was, and this is coming from a man that moved to an island. I mean, he literally lives on an island. Him and his, his family moves about 10 hours away from the rest of the family to an island and lives on an island. And he's telling me about how I seclude myself and live on an island. So it's these type of, of remarks, right? And, and so the point of all of this, because I'm going to wrap this up and I'm going to get into what this episode is truly about. I've taken so much of your time and I, I do apologize, but this is a very important message that I, I need people to understand, right? The whole point of all of this is back in the day, my brother had great influence over me. And I feel that the decisions that I've made in my life is because of that. I was led by a fool, you know. I was guided by a fool, and I was, there was other fools that I was guided by as well. I don't mean any disrespect when I say this, but they're just facts. This is what it is, you know. There's, there's no other denying it. I'm not saying it in a harsh way. I love my brother. I love my family. I love them as people, and I understand how life is. I understand the manipulation of life. I understand the propaganda and how easily we can be influenced and sidetracked into believing things that we may not even really truly believe. But because society says we're supposed to believe them and, and by us not believing we would be abnormal and ostracized. But for me, or you know, being my in the ego in the egoistic way, What's, what's truthful to me isn't more important than being accepted in society and having boats and jet skis and big TVs that I can sit in front of and being able to call myself a millionaire or anything else like that. None of that matters if you're not truth of self. I would love to have all of those things. Anybody would. But I want it truthfully of truth of self to know that these things were given to me from life, but I didn't manipulate life into getting them short term because life will take them away I promise you so it's it's being able to now I guess what I'm doing is just patting myself on the back in, in my long windedness way and I'm patting myself on the back because I wasn't inflicted by the things that this fool was telling me this fool was saying because he, he said very many harsh things but they were backed up by nothing. They were just emotional rants because what I was saying was hurting. They were hurting to the bone because I'm speaking the truth. And I'm speaking it in a, in a mild-mannered way because I'm, I'm unafflicted by what he's saying. Why? Because it's not truthful. It didn't bother me. It didn't bother me. It hurt, it hurt me. It hurt me as it would any other human being that I know just to be an ignorant soul, you know? 
I, I felt pity and I felt sorry for this individual because they're they're lost. They're they're so lost in in society. They're so lost in themselves. They think that things other material things are so important. And then when 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 life is showing you that they're not, you ignore the signs that life is showing you. You you just blatantly ignore them because then you know that by giving them acknowledgement you have to make change. So I say all that to say choose wisely who you speak to every day. Choose wisely who you allow to change your decision. Who is this person? What do they know? Do they know the subject at hand or is this something they just heard on the six o'clock news? Because that could alter your life. It could change your life. You could be deciding to do one thing, which is where your spirit was guiding you from the beginning of the day. But a fool comes along, throws a monkey wrench, and alters your whole day. And what was supposed to happen to you didn't even happen to you. Now it's going to take, who knows, a month three years, 10 years, 20 years for life to produce again what it was willing to give you on that day that you let a fool distract you from. So in every one of our decisions, man, just ask yourself, who is this person that's speaking to me? So moving forward, the discussion here today is with uh, Cynthia Goldberg. She runs the F8 Foundation. Um, she built the foundation and it's a, it's a great discussion and, and my soliloquy goes into sort of what we're discussing because in this life of criminal justice reform, addiction, homelessness, that, that is the quint, quintessential uh, issue is foolery, fuckery, foolery of the mind. These people are in the positions that they're in is because they've been given a perception that is untrue. It's, they're, they're, they're living somebody else's perception. There's a conflict inside the psyche, and it's, it's a war. And, and, and we find ways to, to trust, try to quiet this war down, to pacify it just enough to where I can eat a sandwich or, or, or think clearly. You know, so we're surrounded by fools. This this lifestyle is a foolish lifestyle. So, introducing Cynthia Goldberg. Hello. There we go. There we go. It's probably me. Well, I don't know what it is, man, because it just seems like every time I try to connect, buddy, it, it gives me an issue, you know, there's, there's always a connection, you know, some kind of connectivity issue, but. Right, right. So how are you? I'm well, how are you doing? Oh, man, I'm, I'm blessed. I can never complain, but I, I want to so bad. <laughs> oh, we all I do. do. We all do. We all I do. want to complain so bad, man, but. You know what? It's good to. It's okay to complain. We get to complain. We do. Mm. 
So how is life up there in, in, in Boston? Boston is good. Right now, I'm, at, I'm in Atlanta right now. So I go between Atlanta and Boston. That's, that's my career. That's my job. The F8 goes from Atlanta to Boston. Um, right now, Atlanta is nice. Um, I'll be going back to Boston in a few weeks. Uh, and what determines going back and forth? Well, I'm trying to start a, a, a program, a rehab in Atlanta, um, a continuum of what I started in Boston. Um, I have family here. Uh, you know, there's also a need here in Atlanta. It's kind of needs based. Um, Boston, I'm a home. I'm a Boston girl. So that's that's my hometown. But I have family here. So I came out here and um, so I'll be going back and forth. Um, I'm hoping at some point, you know, COVID hit. So it kind of, you know, it kind of changed up some of my goals here. But um, so eventually I would like people that are released from prison that um, maybe want a different, different change of pace, different venue, et cetera, to come out to, to Georgia to work in my facility and maybe vice versa, you know, Georgia prisons to Boston and vice versa, you know, but that depends on whether the person's on parole because then you have state compacts, but let's just say somebody wrapped up and they wanted a different life. You know what I mean? How can we get past that? Like, how can we get past probation and parole? Like it, do well, we, do we even need that? Do you, in, in your opinion, do you really honestly feel like we need probation, parole? I, I, I don't know. In my professional opinion and my personal opinion, it's, it's, I understand why they do it. There has to be accountability for people that makes mistakes. But I'll tell you, you know, it's damaging psychologically. It's damaging. In my professional opinion, watching... I'll just give you an example. Uh, you know, lifetime parole. I watched. He was accountable for his crime, but I watched parole. You know, I hate to use the term "jack him up" so much it almost broke him. I mean, so and and as far as relocating, it's it's not so simple. Um, you know, you're you're leaving prison, and you you. You committed your crime in a particular state. We'll use mass as an example, but you want to go, I don't know, maybe Georgia, maybe Puerto Rico. Um, that's an interstate compact. And then you got to wait till that state decides if they even want to take you. And in fact, do you have support in that state? Because we all know the parole board. If you don't have, if you don't have support, if you don't have resources, financial support, spiritual support, they're, they're not going to just let you go wherever you want to. And housing. So how do you do that if you're behind the wall and you don't have money? Right? How do you do that? If you if you have to report to parole and they're all going to review that and they're going to determine whether they, you know, whether they let you go home. So do I think parole and probation? I, I don't I mean, that's a really good question because I just I just see it so much more. You, you've done all that time in prison and now you have to get out and you're still, you know, drug tests and you're still doing this. And I, I guess it, it's additional accountability to some people. But to some people, I honestly think it makes their mental health condition worse. 
you got non-trusting people. They go through a jail for how many years? Most of my clients did a lot of time. And, you know, they're in with COs. They're told their piece. I know people have to change. We, you do have to change. You can't keep running on the streets or doing what you're doing or committing crimes. Or do, I get all that. But then you get out, you know, you got to check in again. You already have distrust issues and you check into, I don't know, parole officer or probation officer and they automatically, you become defensive. They automatically look at you like you're going to do something else. I hate to use the term, but sometimes they make, you know, once a piece of shit, always a piece of shit. And that's not always the case. Yeah, there's always going to be people that get out and, and commit a crime or do drugs again and go back. And, and, and that's their choice. But I don't know. Sometimes I think parole and probation is counterproductive. I do. I seriously. Well, let's 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 go over the parole system a little bit. Okay. First off, what for 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 my listeners that may not even understand what parole truly is, what okay. is truly parole? So parole is let, let's say you've committed a crime and you're eligible for parole, meaning you're really still in prison, but they're going to let you finish your prison sentence in society. That's what they're going to do. Your sentence isn't over. So, so let's say you, you got a four to five. At four years, you go before, before the parole board and they, they want to know, do you have housing? You know, are we going to find you a job? Are you going to get a counselor? And while you're out there, if you're lucky enough, they grant you parole. But you're really still in prison. Your, your prison sentence isn't done. You're just, it's a continuum, but you're out in society. And there's a lot of restrictions, a lot of restrictions. So you go out and you, the first thing you do is when you walk out of jail, if you're on parole, you have to go right to your parole office. Generally, they will, you know, meet with you um, and they can really much do whatever they want. They can enter your house when they want to. They can call you in whenever they want to. Um Usually they drug test you upon arrival there and they sit down and they look at, you know, your parole release papers, meaning what the parole board said. You can they, go ahead. Go ahead. Can they show up to your, your employment? Yes, they can. Okay. And that I'll tell you from personal experience is the most embarrassing, humiliating thing. It's tough enough to get a job as I like to use the term returning citizen, but they like to remind it's ex-con. Um, so, so yes, they can show up and there goes your job if they want. If you're lucky enough to have a, a parole officer that perhaps maybe wasn't a correctional officer before he became one, then he, he or she might be, you know, really agreeable and realize that their job is to help in reentry and not show up at your place of employment but you know it's it's embarrassing itself even i'll give you an example so your parole officer wants papers faxed to to him that from your employment you don't want to do it from your employer because your employer is going to see the number you fax to and they're going to see it's a law enforcement agency maybe they know you're on parole maybe they don't some parole officers, if you ask nicely and they're agreeable and you say, listen, please, please don't jam me up, sir or madam. I, I don't want to get 
I don't want them to know I'm, I'm on parole. That's embarrassing. Most people don't want someone on parole. Um, so, yeah, it's really difficult to do. And when they want you, you know, you could be going on on a, I don't know, a day trip with your family to the amusement park. And if that parole officer calls and says, I'm doing a home visit. Well, I know, sir, but I, I'm with, you know, I'm with my kids and my family. We're going to the amusement turn Turn that car around and go back home and wait for me. And then sometimes you're waiting and they'll call and say, yeah, we couldn't get to you. And you know what? This, I mean, does this really happen? Yes, this really happens. There is nothing you can do about it. Nothing. Sure, you could probably go to their supervisor if you have a rough one, but good luck with that because it's just going to make it harder for you. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think it's a psychological game that they play just to see how how you react to adverse situations? Are you going to respond angrily? Are you going to, you know, do you think that they purposely do these things? I do. I do. And I think it also depends on their educational background. Sometimes we have people, parole officers, perhaps that maybe have some human service training or some some training in psychology. Maybe they were a former social worker as opposed to a degree in criminal justice or a corrections officer. Um, I've noticed that with probation officers. I can always tell the probation officer that was a social worker. They seem to be more amenable to, to helping their client as opposed to psychologically really damaging them. I mean, it, it might sound ridiculous, but you know, you're at the end of a, of a probation or parole visit and they're like, you better behave yourself. Well, I know I have to behave myself. Why do you have to keep reminding me of that? I understand I do. I'm the one on parole. Um, you know, or just the, just that knock at the door. If, if anyone, if you've ever been arrested, you know the knock. And, you know, they just can come up to the door and they knock again like that and talk about PTSD or your stomach dropping or getting nauseous. That knock alone can ruin your entire day because you don't know. They you don't know. Am I, you always have this this scared feeling. I, I don't want to ever hear that three clicks to the handcuffs around my wrist again. Hmm. Anyone who's gone to jail knows in the courtroom. When you're going, when you're getting, when you're remanded and you're sent, if you've been sentenced to jail or prison, those three clicks that the bailiff puts on you, you never forget that sound. That's the last thing you hear before you get removed from society. So every time you hear that knock, in my opinion, it goes, you go right back to, to where you were whenever that happened to you. It's, it's scary. And, you know, they, they don't talk to you nicely. Some of them do, but most of them don't. They, they give you this look like, oh, what have you done now? Some of it's probably PTSD and paranoia on the person, but sometimes people are, are really abusive. I mean, I can give you a prime example of a client I had. So he was having an anxiety attack and he was pacing, 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 and he was doing that. I think I call it the seven foot pace, and that's from years of segregation. I can spot it. So I take him to the ER and he's really in rough shape. He's just, he's just having an anxiety attack and I'm not qualified to determine is this a heart attack or an anxiety attack. So we, we call in EIS, which is emergency, emergency service. And I have to call his parole officer 
and I have to call Elmo. And Elmo is the place where you call in when somebody is on a bracelet. And this gentleman was on a bracelet. A so bracelet. What bracelet. is a bracelet, Cynthia? Bracelet monitoring bracelet is they put around you and they keep you on GPS. So every single minute of the day, they know where you are. If you go into a store, they know where you are. If you go into a particular address, they can watch you walk everywhere. And that's often done when you're on parole or probation, um, especially if you're on a curfew. And most parolees that are put on a curfew, it's 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. So I knew with this gentleman, I was going to exceed his curfew. And if you exceed a curfew on a bracelet, a monitoring bracelet, a warrant goes out, Elmo is notified, and the police swarm you. So I called this particular gentleman's parole officer, and I said, I have this gentleman. He's, he's having a tough time. And um, I, I said, well, I just want you to know he's going to miss parole. I mean, miss curfew. And I don't know what time I will get him home. But he is at this location, as you can see, getting some help. And I was in talking to the commission. And when I came out, um, the parole officer and an associate badges around his, their neck, grabbed him off the gurney, flipped him around, was frisking him, grabbed him, dragged him into the bathroom and made him a urine. And there's really nothing you can do except he was stuttering, he was shaking. The uh, psychiatrist in the ER was, please, please stop it. You're exacerbating him. And they didn't care. So you tell me how that's to treat a human. It's not the way you treat a human that might or might not be having a heart attack. They told him he was faking it. And this is somebody that's just trying to readjust back into society. Exactly. This is a client who is having a real tough time with anxiety and PTSD. And, you know, some, some people need a lot of extra reintegration into society when they came out. They need a lot of help with mental health that perhaps maybe they never had. And, and some of them, medication is warranted. I mean, obviously, you know, you don't want someone to have to take medication, but sometimes it's warranted. And with this gentleman, it was warranted. Um, they had to sedate him. He was so upset. And that's not the first time his parole officer did that. You know, I would drop him off and I would see all of a sudden his car whip around my car and his associate get out with badges and throw them up against the car and frisk them for no reason, except you know who I am. They, they'd go into his sober home. They had a key. They'd toss his room just like he was in prison. Mm. That's tough to live with. And I, I want to spend, I want to spend some time on, on these, these ankle monitors and, and really get a, a full in-depth understanding of, of what it is that, that these guys are expected to, to wear around. Now, obviously, they have to be something small and discreet, right? <laughs> discreet? They're uncomfortable. You can't, you can't, you can't swim because I, I took one client to the beach and he had to stand on the edge of the, uh, the, the water. And um, no, they're around there. If you wear shorts, it's embarrassing. Um, they're uncomfortable. You have to charge them all the time. If you do not charge it and it dies... Um, Elmo, which is the monitoring bracelet place, is notified. Uh, uh, whoever is listed as their emergency contact. And usually I'm listed for any of my clients with a bracelet. So I'm called. Their, PO's, their PO is called or their, or their parole officer. And a warrant goes out and the police come and swarm you. 
and it could be just the mere fact that it's that the the it died that it died that that the juice died but so you had to take it off your ankle to charge it right no you're not allowed to take it off you they know if you try to cut it you cannot remove it it's 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 so tight around your ankle that you spend that's that's like an, an extra it, that's like an attached limb you cannot remove that bracelet it is around you more so this is this is this is a, a type of branding yes exactly exactly and believe me they know exactly where you are when you're there every second of the day so by me committing to 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 this parole yeah right right um i know that for however my length of sentence is going to be i'm going to be branded with with their merchandise right exactly exactly now and and you're calling this this Irma, you say? Uh, Elmo. It's the uh, yeah. It's a bracelet monitoring program. It's called, and it's usually administered by the sheriff. Who makes these bracelets? I believe the sheriff's department. But there has been some. I, I know that I I remember some court cases where some of them malfunctioned and people got sent back. Um, they're supposed to, they're supposed to be, they're supposed to fix the malfunctions, the technical malfunctions. Some of them, and I don't know if it's true because I've never experienced it. Some of them can actually listen into your conversations. When I was mm. taking a, taking a client to have a bracelet put on, um, I remember asking one of the sheriffs who was putting it on my client, you know, can you hear what he says? He said, they do have some of them in states that actually can listen to what you're saying. And I don't I, I don't know if that's pertaining to the legalities of each state. But in Massachusetts, I don't know of anyone that had one that listened. But I do know that, like I said, they know where you are. Everything. Yeah. So it's almost like. Uh, okay, so they're, you're, they're they're spot checking you on the GPS. Yeah. They see you may be in some sort of questionable area, so they just turn on the right. the listening device and and yeah. they just hear what's going on. Right, exactly, exactly. And I, you know, I'm not sure why if you have a, an electronic monitoring bracelet on on a client, why you'd have to, you know, additionally grab them out of the car and <laughs> and frisk them and. I, I don't have that answer for you. I just, to me, it's sad because, um, you know, I'm working with these with these gentlemen and believe it or not, you know, most of them that are getting hassled and there are some people that aren't doing the right thing. So don't get me wrong. I'm certainly honest about that. Um, but there are some, most of the people, they're just, they're doing the right thing. You know, I mean, imagine, you know, I, t- I, I am graceful enough to get theater tickets donated to my program. Imagine some poor guy who's never experienced this. He gets to go to the theater. He's got to wear a monitor. You go into the theater, and because I've now blocked a signal, he's in the theater. The the bracelet's flashing off and vibrating, and that's how you know there's a problem on your ankle. It flashes red, and it starts vibrating on your ankle. This is crazy. This is like that movie. What was that movie? Are you with me? Cynthia, I can't hear you. You're breaking up. Can you hear me okay now? I can now. All right. No, but I was saying that's this is kind of like that 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 movie. What was the movie from back in the day where the the dudes used to have the the um 
like the 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 monitors around their necks <laughs> and and they could only go so far like they were in prison right. and the monitors had some sort of gps i guess at that right. time and once you crossed like that boundary your your head would just blow off <laughs> i don't know the name of it but that's a good you know what i'm talking yeah, about definitely yeah I, and that was an old movie, man. What was the name of that movie? That was like from the eighties. Yeah, and I'm an eighties girl, so you're gonna have to. You're gonna, that's gonna drive me crazy. I'm gonna have to think about that all day. Um, but you're absolutely right. And at least you know now the monitors are a little bit different. Um, I had a monitor on me, and um, years it was, a lot, it was eleven years ago, and um, I'd have to carry a big. A big charger on the side of me, which was, it looked like an old cell phone. And you had to have a house line to use this monitor. Now, who has a, who has a telephone house line anymore? But back then, that's the only they, way they could do it. And, the, and they were big bracelets. And I was embarrassed. And I, I, I lost jobs because of it. It would go off. It would go off. And, uh, you know, there's nothing I can do. You know, what is that you're wearing, ma'am? You can't lie. What am I supposed to say? That's my heart monitor. That's, I mean, I'm like, I'm on a monitor. Oh, my God, you're on a monitor. Security came and escorted me out of the building. We don't want. But I thought you're supposed to let businesses, you know, aware that this is this is the circumstance when they're hiring. you. Well, yeah, that's the that's the million dollar question. That's the million dollar question. Do you have to tell them? I, I, I don't. Most of the businesses now, they'll do a background inquiry check on you, and it's going to come up. So you have to be forthright. Um, some people don't say anything, and because you, most of the time, they're not going to hire you unless you find somebody with a real kind heart who maybe has somebody that went to prison. I mean, most people don't really understand. People, not everyone's really bad that goes to prison. Some people make mistakes and they change their life, but there's this stigma in society. Oh my God, you're an ex-con. You're dangerous. You're going to hurt us. In my case, when my, my, my bracelet went off and somebody reported it to security, um, the manager was nice enough to say, listen, let me ask the staff, you know, how they feel about working with a person that's on a bracelet. And somebody in the company said, I don't feel comfortable. I don't like people that went to jail. And they escorted me off the premises. <clears throat> it's tough. Just the anxiety. I mean, the way that you're describing it, just the anxiety alone in, in deciding in that moment, like when you're filling it out and, and, and you know that the, the moment comes up where, you know, they're, they're talking about background or whatever. And, and I can just imagine you're just sitting there and you're yeah. just trying to say, like, do I say it? Do I not say it? Right. Oh, it, you're absolutely right. So. You know, but how do we how do we right right how do we get the common person because the common person is going to say well you know what he should have thought about that before he committed his crime yeah they are. you know these are the repercussions of of the crimes that were committed right how do we change that narrative because it's true though um how do you change that narrative if you can figure that out then we've solved a big a big problem in society I mean. I can remember being on one interview and the interview person and I was a, it doesn't make it right or it doesn't make it right. I was a white, I was a business crime. And I remember interviewing when I got out and the person Googled me, 
pulled up my mug shot and turned the monitor around and said, is this you? I said, yep. And they said, get out. Excuse my language. Get the F out of my office. And I, I got home and I fell to my knees and I was sobbing. And I'm like, oh, my God, is this ever going to stop? Um, how do we fix this? I mean, I don't know. In Massachusetts, they're working on Cory reform. Um, you know, they did ban the box, which means on a job application, you don't have to fill out you're a convicted felon. When I do reentry work with my clients, it depends on the job. In my case, I'm not going to get a job in the business world and accounting department ever again. And I just have to accept that. I'm, they're not going to hire me. They're just, they're not going to, they don't feel comfortable. But I thought, I thought several years ago, Obama, Obama passed something where something about uh, no to the, the box or something along those lines where businesses right. couldn't ask. Well, uh, you know, the, they, the question, the legal thing is they can't ask on an application and each state is different. So, for example, like if you're in Massachusetts, you're filling out your job application. You don't have to do a convicted felon. However, there's two ways they get you. OK, will you pass a background check? No, I'm not going right. to pass a background check. And, and the other way is that they say most of these most of these applications years ago they're written right so you don't check off the box but if you're on a computer screen filling out an application and the person the company may be outsourced their human resources so let's say it's massachusetts but the company they outsource to is i don't know north carolina and they won't let you progress in your app hello hello cynthia i'm still here yeah, you, yeah, you cut out on right. me, Mommy. So, uh, yeah, so you have to answer the question because you can't. It won't let you skip it on a computerized job application, and and if it's another state, like I said, you know, outsourcing the interview, and maybe they don't have be in the box in that state. You're expected to answer it. I just put the penal code down. Tell people put the penal code of what they were arrested for, and maybe they'll maybe they'll ask them to explain. That's, that's really all you can do. I mean, there are companies, though, that get tax credits for felons. So they actually yeah. want a felon before. I'll just give you an example off the top. Macy's. Macy's gets tax credits for hiring ex-felons. So if you're an ex-felon, you're actually going to get the job before somebody else. They want the tax credit. Macy's is a company mm. to work for, yeah. They, they don't care if you're an ex-felon. I also presume it depends on the on the crime too, but yeah, of course. But it, it, so so you you mentioned um, earlier about the F eight Foundation. What is that? So that's a foundation that I started. Um, I I got the the thought to do it when I was in prison, and so I did. I got a three to four year sentence and uh, ten years probation. Um, Six hundred thousand dollars in restitution. Um, file refile all my taxes for five years, so I don't even have to tell you what what that what that did to me. Um, so when I was in prison, I, I saw so many people that had mental illness or or had such an abusive trauma life. I I didn't have that. So I I didn't. I I had a nice childhood. Thank God. I, I got to get an education, thank God. 
But when I was in there, I saw, I'm like, oh my goodness, these poor people didn't even have a chance, not a chance. Um, and I would help people, you know, study, help them with their GED. I, um, I, I had, you know, a background in business, legal, and um, actually nursing too. And um, so I would help them. And I'm like, I really like this. But everybody gets this crazy epiphany sometimes when they're in prison. I'm going to save the world. And when I got out, um, I said, you know what? I'm, I'm really going to do something. And the reason I named it F8 is because F81017 was my state prison number. I know that sounds crazy. But F8 on a keyboard in config is safe mode and F8 on a camera is clarity. So I decided to name my foundation. And I just I didn't get state funded. I, um, I, I slung menus at Uno's for four years while I was building this. And I decided to do something a little different because I, I got to assess everybody that came out. They don't have a driver's license. They can't get here. Uh, maybe somebody wants them to see a therapist, but it's a parole therapist. All these different things. I'm watching people fail in reentry. And, and I didn't really want to hear somebody say, oh, look at them. They don't want to do it. It's not as easy when you get out. It's, it's really hard. Even to go to a grocery store, you're like stunned. So I said, I'm going to start a program. But the first thing that we have to do is get people's like life together. So meaning if you're on parole, let somebody go with you, your parole officer, and witness this. Let somebody connect with your parole officer and say, okay, what can we do to help this guy? Same thing with probation. I'd go marching right in. Okay. What do you expect of this client? When do you want to see him? I, I know that sounds kind of ridiculous in the beginning, but believe it or not, it was helpful. Um, I would sit one-on-one -on -one with my, with my gentlemen because many of them were so embarrassed to go. They have resources where you go to write a resume. They're embarrassed because they don't know how to turn on a computer. They don't even know how to turn a cell phone on because they've been away so long. So I work one-on-one -on -one with them. Oh, and I would physically take them to their therapist, to their doctor's appointment, to their interviews. I would get them suits. I would take them to do community service with me. I would take them to the theater. All these things that are pro-social activities that people don't think make a difference. But if you have a person that has lived on the street and ran on the street, they don't know any better. They don't know how to. And then they went to prison. They don't even know what to do. They don't even know what fun is. They know hanging up the street in front of the bodega. That's what they know. Hanging with the people that they shouldn't. Sometimes people just need a little kindness and they trust me. I went to prison. I went to prison. You can't sit with somebody that went to prison and say, wow, I know what it's been like. It's really tough. They're going to look at you like, get out of here. I say, listen, I know what it's like to go to prison. I know what it's like to make a mistake. And I know what it's like to change my life. So let's see if we can get you some help. So that's why I started this program. And I love my job. I love my job. I really don't do the same thing. Every single client is different. Everyone is different and everyone's needs are different. So my program is based on individual needs of each. It's a little bit of an out of a box approach, but, um, you know, I've had great success. I've lost, I've had about 1800 clients. I don't know. I think I've lost about 
three of them. So I guess that's not too bad of a record, you know? Um, in -hmm. addition, you know, they'll call me from behind the wall and the reentry behind the wall is great. So we might start our relationship that way. They might call me to place them. So I work with a lot of sober homes, rehabs. Um, so that might be how we start out. I'm going to place you. But once I place them, I stay with them. I'm in that sober house with them. I might be cooking dinners for the gentlemen. Uh, you know what? It sounds as simple as putting up a Christmas tree and having hot chocolate. I know people roll their eyes when I say that. But you'd be surprised, the gentlemen that have never had that, that just little bit of kindness and somebody that's never trusted anybody starts learning to trust. It makes a big impact, a big impact on their life. And then, you know, we maybe they're having it. Maybe they want to go back to college. So we help them fill out a a college application. Um, That's really cool when I get to see a client graduate from college. I'm usually crying my eyes out. So proud. Mm-hmm. So how how did because you said that you had a good childhood and you said that you had a good education. So if you don't mind me asking, like how how did you end up going to prison? Well, I worked for a very Enronist type of company, and I'm not taking the I'm not passing the buck. I I assume it's complete accountability. Um, it was kind of a, a situation where you know they wanted numbers changed. Um, and, but I was paid for it well. Um, should I have should I have actually stood up and say this goes against everything I learned? Sure, I should have. Did I like that lifestyle? Planes, limo, champagne? Yeah, I did. So, you know, some people have an addiction to this or that. I guess that that was my addiction. Um, you know, and then and then you get yourself in so deep and you know so much about a company that it, you're afraid to open your mouth. And I was afraid to open my mouth. There were some heavy hitters working here. I got scared. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just, you know, when it went down and, and, and they went through everything, uh, I got cuffed. And what did, what did I learn through this? Obviously, don't be an asshole and do, and do something like that. That's insane. Um, but there's always a scapegoat. When one of these, one of these grand business schemes go on, there's always this nobody nobody takes it oh. to the grave you don't sit in a boardroom and say oh we're all gonna take this to the grave no when the shit right. hits the fan there's always one idiot that goes and i was that idiot and um i was frightened that somebody would do something so i did my time kept my mouth shut and obviously i will never do something like that again um i, I will never do it again you know but why why didn't why why didn't you just leave like say it just up and pack up and just leave and go to Tahiti or whatever I had a family I couldn't just up and take off I mean that's why I was on a bracelet I was a flight risk that's why that's why they stuck me on a mm-hmm. bracelet they figured I had the funds to take off and never come back and you know- no I mean before before the before everything went Cut. down what I'm saying is, I, is because I was were... getting in deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And you get in sometimes in something so deep and you almost can't walk away. I don't know. Maybe in my warped mind for a little while, I'm like, well, but this will be OK. Maybe I should blow the whistle on all these fuckers. And uh, I'm like, I guess that's what I'm trying to get get at is, is the pressure and the anxiety oh. of a situation like that and how oh. it can 
how it can alter your decision making as far as yep. what's right it's and what's nail wrong. On the head, you're really good at this. Um, it just it's, that's it. You get in so deep, and you're you know I didn't even sleep at night, and I had such heartburn. I remember sleeping sitting up, and honestly, when they swarmed my house, and and finally when I got to prison, it was like oh my god, this is done. This life is done. I lived it for ten years, cooking the books for for a nefarious company that, yeah, again. So it was almost an alleviation. Yeah, yeah, it was. I can't tell you the difference now, how happy I am. I love my job. And I, I don't, I, and I made a lot of money and I don't mean doing nefarious stuff, but I did very well in my life and I don't make a, I don't make a quarter of that. I'm a nonprofit and I don't even care. Um, here's a lesson in life. Money doesn't buy you happiness. It doesn't. People people think that. Oh wow! I, I, I'm not being an asshole. I, I had all different kinds of fancy cars, but now if I got in a different kind of car, it would be for a different reason. It wouldn't. Well, money money doesn't money doesn't buy no. happiness, but it sure does buy you the freedom to attain it. It does, except I, you know, I, I'm coming from a different angle. It, it's hard because. Um, you know, I mean, I have a nice life. I cannot complain. I'm, I'm very blessed. I'm very grateful. Um, my life before, um, maybe, you know, people, people would, I, it was like a double life. When the police came, my own family did not even know what was going on. I can still, even the look mm-hmm. on the dog's face was like, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Like, oh my God, here's our soccer mom being I, I was huh. the vp of a company here's our soccer mom being cuffed and taken out in a black suv in, so in, in a one word neighborhood um you know and i was quiet and but people said oh you know look at her she drives a mercedes she got a big job and it was killing me killing me i mean i don't know if anyone's ever gotten in in, in a situation yeah many people have but so in one word, Cynthia, in one word, describe your prison experience. Saving. Saving. It saved my life. Mm. I know people say, because it's tough in there, but I had no way out. As much as it saved me. I mean, saving, it saved me. Um, I wouldn't wish prison on anyone. I really wouldn't. It, it was horrible. I mean, if you don't know what it's like to be strip searched, cavity searched, if you, but I couldn't get out of that situation. And I know sometimes I do a lot of speaking engagements and I'm like, you know what? That saved my life. I, what am I sorry for? Mm. I'm sorry for my crime. I'm sorry for destroying my family i am i will never you know get over that i can all all i can do is change which i did apologize um and and move on and not you know they say you know i'm sorry is manipulation and it is if you just say i'm sorry but you don't change that's a crock of shit it's change that really shows somebody when you're sorry and you don't want to do it again and i pretty much devoted my entire life now to, to helping other people you know, that have gone through this because my heart goes out to them. 
So in one sense, you spent the first half of your life living through your ego, which we know is is the material. Yep. And and now you're you're spending the second half of your life giving through the exactly. spirit. Exactly. Exactly. And I do love what I do. You know, the funny thing is when I first started school many years ago, I switched my major. I was a I was a sociology major. I wanted to be a social worker. And I switched it to business and you know what? And now I'm doing I'm doing social work and I really do I really do love it. Um yeah, I mean, so people do change. Does not? Does everybody change? No, they don't. Um, and I, I did go. I did go see a therapist. I did all the things that you're supposed to do when you want to go back into society and you want. So when I when I tell a client or, or I'm telling you, if I say, hey, listen, you got to go try this. I've already tried it. So I don't bullshit. I always tell the guys, my mouth's not a bakery. I don't sugarcoat shit. Anything I'm suggesting that you do to get back in society post-incarceration, I have done. And, and it does help. It does help. People, you know, they, they roll their eyes. Journal. Um, I've, ta- I've taught journaling classes, um, music, running, exercise, cooking, whatever it is. But you have to find a coping mechanism to stress. You have to. And if you need medication, then you should take it. You should take it. Fortunately, you know, I didn't need medication. Um, I've never take it, taken it, um, and I'm grateful. But, yeah, I still, I, still, I still have PTSD. It gets less and less as you're out. But, you know, the door's open from prison, and you, and you walk out, and you're like, oh, this is, I got this. Oh, my God, the anxiety hit in my stomach. Um, my first time in a grocery store, I think I bought the stuff that was on canteen. You would think I went and would get a filet mignon, but I just, I just went for the stuff I knew. And I really thought that everybody in that grocery store could see that I had like a prison sheen on me. I remember feeling, I don't feel Mm -hmm. like everybody else. Yeah. You know why? What is, you know what that is, Cynthia? Because you're walking around with a smile. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. People that come home from prison are the happiest people in the world. You can spot them a mile away because everybody else is 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 either in a rush or they're just miserable. And prison people are just walking around like like they just crawled from under a rock <laughs> and, and you know, experiencing life for the first time, which is essentially yeah. what's going it's on. It's true. You know? It's really true. Yeah, you're right. Go ahead. So Go ahead. So you, you, you do this, you, you form this foundation, you get involved in, in re-entry, and, and you Correct. start meeting people. Was there anybody in, you know, in particular that, that uh, you grew an affinity for, or you sure. just felt you just caught yeah, a tough there was break? A client, um, and his name, is, uh, his, his name is Nico Rosado. Really, his name is Bardelio Rosado Diaz. Um, I worked with him, and he just... He's, I read his file before I got him. I was called in for him. I remember the day. It was July 9th, 2019. And I was called by a clinician um, from Clean Slate, which is where you go for substance abuse. And she called me and said, Cynthia, I have a guy that's looking for help, but he's never had a substance abuse issue in his entire life, ever. And um, he needs some help. He's really struggling. 
And, uh, you know, he's, he's done, he did a lot of time and I don't know who to refer him out. He's, he's like that, that dog that's been beaten. He just doesn't want to go near people. He's isolating. He's, and I said, all right, I'll take it for you. I said, God, I said, you're giving me another challenging one. I said to this caseworker. And I remember I picked him up. I remember it vividly. And I pay, I, I pull up to, to his rooming house and, and there he is pacing like just short paces back and forth, disheveled, not shaven with a cane. And um, I, I got out of the car and I shook his hand and he said, can you please, please go to my parole officer with me? And I'm like, why? What, what's the matter? And he's like, I'm so scared of him. And, and I had read, I, I had looked him up on, online and I read his file and he was, he was a Latin king, but he was high up there. Apparently he had brought the Latin kings to Massachusetts. So he was not liked. And um, I'm like, this is, you know, I, I, I didn't live on the street. So, you know, when you pull up and you're like, this, this is not what I expect. And shame on me. Absolute shame on me for judging someone in my mind visually before I drove up. I'm thinking this big, tough guy tats all over him. That's a terrible thing for me to do. So I pull up and there's this, this quiet. That's how society has trained us, though. There's this quiet guy, and he get, you know, I, I introduced myself, and I said, come on, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go with you. And he's like, I, I just, I'm like, are you all right? And, he, and he's shaking, and he's got disability papers in his hand. And I'm like, well, why are you, what's the matter? Why are you, why are you filing for disability? How long you been out? I'm like, I, I don't know. And he, and he said, I, I got out about a year ago. And I'm like, well, well, what are you doing? And he said, well, they placed me in this house. And I said, all right. Um, I said, I thought that was supposed to be like a parole house. And uh, they had resources and this and that. And some of them do and some of them don't. And um, this this had nothing. It was just like a front for. What do you what do you mean? Some of them do on some, but they're no, not uniform. No, they're supposed to be MASH certified. Um, some of these houses um, parole will choose and pick to them because the person that runs them will pretty much let let parole officers know exactly what these guys are doing every second of the day. They're so these are private yep, entities. Yep. So this this gentleman was in this private entity, and um, I I met the owner, mm-hmm. and immediately the hair on the back of my neck stood up. And I work with a lot of places like this, and I just I'm like, this guy's making me uncomfortable. But I didn't want to say anything because I don't want to exacerbate, you know, Mr. Rosado there. So um, he's just it it was strange. I introduced myself. I'm like, I'm taking Mr. Rosado to parole. And he's like, oh, nice dress. You got lipstick on your teeth. And I'm like, the hell's the matter with this guy? This guy's freak. This (laughs) dude's a freak. I'm like, all right, Mr. Rosado, get in the car. I'm like, that's the owner of the house. And he's he said, yeah, um, He's not a good guy, Cynthia. He's not a good guy. Stay away from him. And and I let it go because again, I don't know Mr. Rosado and, and I get all, I just, I don't want to go there. My objective was to get him to parole. And I met his parole officer and if, he, he immediately like, I, I call it the peacock chest, sticks his chest out and it's, it's a, it's mm-hmm. a, uh, yeah, it's, shows, yeah, it's a show of authority. Yeah. And I've seen it before. And, um, you know, he said, oh, you're working with Mr. Rosado. And I said, yeah, and I gave him my business card. We're not- Hello. So I said, are you sure you want? Are, are you sure you want? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You cut out on me again, mommy. You, 
you cut out on me. You cut yeah. out on me when so you I got gave, his business I gave card. The parole officer, my business card, and I said, you know, this is what we're going to be working on, and um, he said, okay, fine. He's like, watch out for him, and I'm like, I've got no indication that I should be frightened of this man. Um, watch out for him. Okay, sir. Whatever. Yeah, I'll watch out for him. Yeah. So yeah, he's already, already planting seeds. seeds. Right, right. And so, all right, that's mm-hmm. fine. And and uh, he said, you know what? You need to get a job or you're, I'm going to send you to OCC. And I don't know if you know what that is. That's a sheriff's department program. And that's run by corrections officers. So I'm like, oh, my God, I'm thinking. But I don't know the parole officer and I don't know Mr. Rosado. But I do remember distinctively witnessing Get a job or you're going to go to OCC. He said, in fact, you know what? I'm going to send mm. you to OCC tomorrow. So I, I saw his face. Now he's even more uh, shaking and upset. And I said, it's okay. I said, relax. Um, let's, um, let's go apply to some jobs, some dog shelters for, for you. And um, let's see what we can get you. You got your business license already. I'll also make an appointment with... Um, a place that will give you some funding, which we did all reported to the parole officer. And, uh, I took him, I, the next day I received a call. I remember this. He was in the hospital because they sent him to OCC, which is also a drug addiction program, by the way, that they send you to, he doesn't have a drug addiction guy, never did a drug or had a drink in his entire life. And uh, I had to go pick him up in the ER. Just the sound of the keys and the black boots put him into such a frenzy that he had to go to the hospital. Yeah. Let me stop you right there. Do you know that's my trigger is keys? When, when not, not, not say keys per se, but the specific, you know, the specific sound of keys as they're on somebody's hips and they're walking. It could it could be any kind of keys. It could be a key ring of any sort. But if if a person has them yep. on their hips and they're walking, just that that's, yep. that specific jingle, it definitely uh, creates a, a lot of anxiety. I, I, I can agree with you because it does to me too. And then certain black boots will will do that to me too. So I felt horrible because I I went to the ER to get him. He was white as a ghost. They're administering Zofran. If you don't know what that is, it's for terrible nausea. And I said, are you all right? And he's like, I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm pacing. I can't sit down. And and they're all telling him to knock it off. And the more they're telling him to knock it off and in his face, he's getting worse and worse. So I pick him up. I remember the day vividly. And I'm like, all right, let me get you some ginger ale. Let's go to the dog shelter. And we'll apply and we'll pat the dogs. And every day I would pick him up after or before OCC. I had to work really closely with him. Um, The problem became that, um, so the (laughs) the owner of the sober house was a very unusual, greedy man. And he did not, and I found those after. I couldn't figure out why he didn't have caseworkers his facility like most of them do to help these guys i mean a lot of the facilities they're discharged to are legit and are great and they have a caseworker like myself or somebody else that's going to get these guys but this this guy had nothing 
nothing in there. Um, he had a Bible. Go read the Bible. I'm like, this is a front. This is this is crap. So he just continued to start a lot of trouble. Um, you know, he would call the, the parole officer and say, you know, um, Mr. Rosado's out with Cynthia again. Um, they went to the beach. Do you think that's appropriate? I take clients to the beach that haven't been to the beach. I take them to the movies. I take them to eat. I take them sledding to the theater. These are all pro-social activities that you're supposed to have. So this guy started to really start. Right. You're, you're actually, yeah. you're actually doing your job. A lot um, <laughs> he, he even said, you might want to ask Mr. Rosado, and I'm going to be really honest, and this is, this is embarrassing. You might want to ask Mr. Rosado if he's sleeping with his caseworker. He wasn't. <laughs> um, and that's not funny. That's really insulting to me. It's insulting. But but how, okay, how does that make you feel as a woman, so, a professional it, it woman? It made me feel horrible. And, and I almost quit my job because of this. I almost quit. I said, oh, my God, one bad rumor. I just I just came back from from 11 years of of being told what a business scum I am to do this to me and i and i i i i didn't want to do it anymore and then i, I wonder how i wonder how many women get get accused of of that in that position of, of sleeping because, with their clients and yeah, because and i was you know system. i was asked are you married um you know oh how old are you um wow you always dress like that i dress professionally in a suit because i'm trying to portray an image and teach clients dress for success in fact i was on the board for dress for success so yeah, it it just it it hurt. It destroyed me, and then it exacerbated uh, Mr. Rosado because he is a, such a perfect gentleman, and he just, you know, they just kept, "Are you sleeping with her? Are you sleeping with her? Are you doing this? Are you doing that?" And they were just they were going to give this guy a nervous breakdown. Um, you know, I, I'll never understand why it happened that way. If you ask me, did I have to guess? Mm -hmm. Did if they want someone back, they're gonna they're gonna find a way to get them back, um, you know. And I had permission. I I am an ex con. Um, you're not supposed to hang around with ex cons. I run a program. I have never in my career been questioned by a law enforcement agent about that. I've never been. They actually refer out to me. Probation departments. I've speaking in courts for the judges. The judge will get off the bench and say, Cynthia, can you take one of these guys and work with them? So for this to happen, it just, it was like blindsiding me. It... So they violated his, his yes. parole for associating yes. with a known felon. That known felon was his case manager yes. that had permission. Yes. Okay. And did you go outside of the permission that you had nope. in any kind of way? In fact, everything I did was emailed to the parole officer. I'm taking Mr. Rosado to the beach, emailed. I'm taking him for an appointment. I took Mr. Rosado to the movies. I took Mr. Rosado to dinner. I took Mr. Rosado to this facility to speak at this time. But how can that be? How can they give you permission to do something and then punish because the man when they you do it? if they accuse you of sleeping someone, that, that there goes the professional relationship and then you are associating. See what I mean? They were clever.
Clever. So so uh, clever. So guilty. Yeah. Clever. Um, you know, and I have to move on. Yeah, that that was really tough. It was horrible to be accused of that. And you know, it's like here we go again. Here we go again. I just built my reputation and my business up and 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 so I have to be I have to stand my ground. I have to stand my ground. I did what I was supposed to do. I was very helpful to this man. He's now on you know, I talk to him twice a day from prison and he's now on mental health medication. And I can't tell you the difference that I hear in him. The anger that is gone, the thank you letters I've got from him. I, I see a different side. So I know I did my job. It, was it hard? To, was it hard? Yeah. Um, of course, someone just tried to destroy my reputation and my career. And then I have to step back and say, well, look who tried to do it. So all these years I've been doing this, I've never had this. This poor guy comes along and he's in the wrong place in the wrong, you know, I mean, there's rumors about the person that owns that, that, you know, he, he does this on purpose. Um, I don't know. I don't have any proof of that. I just know he's not a good person and his agenda was certainly not to help these guys. I had two clients. The, the parole, parole officer. officer and the owner of the house. Is the is the owner of the yes. house still operational? Yes. I had two. Mm. I, I, so, so um, Nico, which I, I don't like calling him Nico because yeah, the, you, you said that was a, a, his yeah, former like street name. Yep. Um, yep. So he likes to go by body. Right. So, and which... Um, you yeah. sent me a recording, 18 minutes of a discussion between you and Body that okay. I'm going to post Good. after our interview um, so the listeners can, can hear that and, and they can yeah. judge for themselves, you know? So is yes. Body, Body still locked up right now? He's supposed to. And, and how much, his, for how much further? Time. So he got remanded September 24th, 2019, and he will be going up for parole in January. Um, God willing, he gets it. God willing, he gets it. Uh, I mean, the poor guy. How much, how much further of his sentence does life. he have till he's done with everything? For the rest he has of his to go life. through this he's for the rest of his life. Lifer. Yep. What was Accessory his original charge? That. That means that he... What does that mean? You went out on me. Okay. So what... Hello. Um, yep, was, I got you. Okay, go ahead. ...was, when he was Nico, the head of the Latin Kings, and um, he... Some, some kid... I guess. And this is sad. I remember him speaking of it. And um, he actually cried when he was speaking. Some some kid, I don't know, ripped some gang beads off. And um, it was his job to command a hit for his death. And um, Nico and I'm It was Nico's job. Body's, Nico's well, Nico job at this time. It was Nico's job. Out on, the, on this kid. And um, did he did and the kid was killed mm -hmm. and um it doesn't it, he he's still so remorseful he can he he'll cry when he talks about it um and he was sentenced to uh life in prison mm -hmm. um with the possibility of parole and he was 
He went up for parole, I believe, two more times before he was paroled in 2018, and he was denied. Um, but he's, he's, you know, he doesn't, I don't condone it. He doesn't condone it. It was a horrible, horrible mistake that he made. That's not him anymore. Um, he spent 26 years, you know, behind. And in that time, you know, I guess they have a gang class where you announce gangs. And I do know that he didn't want to be it because he did have two gang tattoos. And he asked me if I could take him somewhere to have them removed because he no longer wanted that affiliation or that on his body. Um, and, you know, he mm -hmm. really had a tough time. He was in segregation most of his 26 years um, in the beginning because of his case, because he was a high profile leader. And I, you know, I don't know whether someone would put a hit out on mm -hmm. my prison, vice versa, but um, yeah, it was tough. And I, I do know when, when he, go ahead. How old? 16. How old was the kid that got killed? Yes. 16 years old. How, how, Prevalent Very is that prevalent. in the Latin community? Very prevalent. Um, where, 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 where did Nico? Where was, was he born? born in Puerto and Rico, and at, at five years old, he moved to moved to New York, uh, Long Island, and um, he was he was raised there. His father I, I was a merchant marine. His father was very abusive; just constantly beat him, beat him, beat him, beat him. I mean he told me stories that I just, my mouth drops, how he beat him so bad. And, um, you know, I'm not making any excuses, but he's a very bright man. And I can see as a child, he goes a hundred miles an hour in his, in his body and his mind. So he's getting beaten and he can't sit still. And he's always beaten. I guess he took off. And, and as many of these, I hear when, when I interview these former gang members that almost that becomes their family. You know, I think you heard me ask him, did you like that life? And he's like, not really. I looked over my shoulder. I mean, I don't know why he got in that. He just said he got in that because he did. He took off from his family and, and his father was awful. He's got a lovely mother. I've spoken to his mother. Um, so he was raised in New York and he, and he used to, he used to roll like in Manhattan and studio 54, studio 55. He led that, he led that life. You know, he was, he was, I mean, I guess if you, you read the paperwork, he was, I think they say it, they call it the Corona, um, which is um, the executioner. So, yeah, I, and I'm interested, yeah. I, I was it because I listened to the recording and, and, you know, and I gave you some, you some questions to ask, you know, prior to that. And um, he answered them. And I was just, I was, I don't know, surprised, I guess surprised. Um, mostly, you know, the 30 second travel, I, I, I guess maybe I thought he, he would have went back to his decision to join the gang. But he, he he really didn't even speak on that time at all. You yeah. know, his first his first time, because uh, he said he would split it. He would go to the back to the dog training, you know, certification, and then the second time yeah. had I to think do what, with meeting what with got you. Because he started to cry. I don't know if you caught that. So he doesn't. He will talk when he's speaking to like young young adults or someone about about 
all that that we're talking about. He doesn't he doesn't like to really think about it because that's not him. But I guess what got me and made me cry during that was because I started to cry because I was there the day. So so, you know, mm-hmm. you, I asked him the question that that you helped me with. Thank you. That, or that actually you gave me. And it was, where could you go back for 30 seconds? Well, I remember that day that he that he was referring to. And I know you probably wanted that split decision. Do I go to a mm-hmm. gang? I, I don't know. I don't think I think sometimes you, you you maybe he represses that. I don't I don't know. That would be, you know, maybe to deal with his therapist. But um, I do remember that day he had not been to a beach. And I remember I took him to Crane's Beach in Ipswich, Mass., he got out of the car and his foot, like he described when he started to cry on the interview, touched the sand and he dropped to his knees and the tears rolled down his face. He said, I never thought that I would ever get mm-hmm. to see this. I never thought that I would get to feel different things. So I guess, you know, maybe he should have elaborated, but again, he's behind the wall and he's careful. It's a recorded line. Um, he he wanted to move forward with his life and, and like do like the pros like uh, the movies i took him i remember him crying mini golfing he never did any of these things um so i guess you know he always mm-hmm. used to say that that he'll never forget that moment and it's funny you know you said 30 seconds he always said i will never forget walking over the dunes and seeing that ocean and my foot touching the sand so that's his 30 seconds. That's his, yeah. that's his. And yeah. And, 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 and there's, of course there's no right or wrong. Of course not. And, and I, but I guess, you know, I guess what, what I would ask, you know, body now is, is like in that moment, first I'd have to understand what happened the day that he right. decided to, right. to join that game. Right. Yeah and get involved in that lifestyle. I'd have to understand where his, his, where he was at, you know, personally at that time. And, 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 and now I guess I, I would like to understand if he had a a choice to either join this gang or do something else. Right. What was that other choice? Because we all have choices. He's, he's, he used to, the sad thing is that he was on the right path. I don't think I've ever quite gotten an answer. What was the day? And I like that. And I might ask him that and then I'll, I'll give you the answer. Um, I lo- He is a six degree black belt in karate. He used to compete all over the place in mm. MMA fighting. He was high up there um, and it loved mm. him. It, he loved that. It kept him disciplined. I don't know what it was whether he got away from it because i i i do remember his father was a merchant marine and in martial arts i don't know if maybe that was a rebellious thing against his father i'm just putting it out there as a guess based on working with him um you know maybe rebelling against everything this this guy's always beating me you know i I don't yeah yeah i'm just curious because it from from like his whole life of, as what it's been for the last 20 something years is the result essentially of him joining a gang and everything that led into that. Um, he does is he reflective he on that? He does. He's so ashamed of, of that, what happened, his crime. He's so ashamed of it. Um, 
Yeah, um, he it's did a hard say thing, that. Uh, because we can never lose the fact yeah. that, I mean, somebody lost yeah. their life. Somebody yeah. died. And, and that person, that person's not here anymore. That person right. can't produce. That person can't, that person can't love. That person can't exactly. be held. Exactly. You know. And it, it it's, a, it's a very, it very what, tough well, thing. I did hear him once you know? speak. Um, and I remember him saying, you know, I think somebody asked that question, you know, what was it? You know, you're, you're not, you're not into drugs, you sold drugs, but you never, he never touched a drug in his life. And somebody asked him what it, what it was that was, and he said, well, I guess my addiction was the money. I made a lot of money doing it. I had a lot of power. So, yeah, power and addiction. It's an addictive thing. You know? Just like anything else, any and an and overabundance of anything can become an addiction. It you know, doesn't matter what it is, you know. If yeah. if we're living an egotistical life, if we're living, if we if we're feeling like I have to have chains and I have to have cars and rims and I have to have beautiful women on me, and in order to have beautiful women, that has to be money. All of that is what right. makes my stature as a man. Yeah, then, well, then that's you what go. you're going I mean, to do. That's, that's 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 exactly what I mean. It might... Yeah, and that's what and I. And that's the street life. The Why are you? You know, what are you doing? What? What? He's like, I I like it, and I always say, well, that's called excited misery, and that's what it is. Excited misery. Yeah. <laughs> Me, I'm too tired. I'm too tired to be keeping <laughs> up with people anymore. I don't care. It's, it's, it's too much, man, you know, and we lose sight of who we are. And the next thing you know, you're buying, you're buying crap that you don't right, even like right. because somebody I else likes that. it. I know. I catching. You know, I have a pretty good do audience in, in Puerto Rico as well. Let me, um, so well, good. I do. Yay to my Puerto <laughs> Ricans. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm going to send this to some of his family back in, uh, in Puerto Rico so that, so that they can hear this too. Um, you do really great work. You would not be surprised I, I, all the feedback I get from from your interviews on you really you really help people and you get people to open up. You have a talent. You have a blessing. You're welcome. Well, thank you. You know, I, I just I, I want to be able to reach as many people as I can because, you know, I, I don't know how long I'm going to be here, know. Cynthia. You but, know, we don't know. And, and you know I'm I'm being I'm being tested and I'm and I'm being more tested even even yeah. so now you know and it's so so now I feel even more pressed to to try to help even more people and then and then you know uh, the, the the thing is is I have to have a job you know it's oh, because yeah. this did, I'm doing this for I free you know this is yeah. this is all for free for me so I have to pay my bills you know I have my family's looking at me like okay you know we're right. we're you know you have to work and. And I don't want things to pull me away right. from my passion because right. I feel like my time is limited. You know, none of the men in my life on my side of the family live, live long. My father, who's 82 years now, had three heart attacks and has a pacemaker. Nobody on my side of the family, on his side of the family, has lived that long. Most men are late 50s, early 60s. And, you know, be easy, as 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 Body always says to me every day. Be easy, Cynthia. Be easy. You're doing great work. Um, you need to get fiscal sponsorship for this. You do. 
yeah, I need, I need viewership. I need, you know, I need, I need an audience, but, you know, listening to, listening to him and, and another, you know, intriguing moment was his challenges. And within his challenges, one of them right. is right. how to stay positive. You know, he had, he had one of his biggest right. challenges is how to stay positive. It's tough. It's not easy. And, you know, having a, having a past like that and, and a crime which he committed, it, how does it not stay with you for the rest of your life? I mean, how does it not? How does the guilt? Um, at the end of the day, all he can do is, is, is do the right thing. Um, you know, I pray that this man gets, gets paroled and can go home. I do. I do. And as a mother, it's hard. Somebody, a 16-year-old child lost their life. I'm a mother, and, and, but it's my job to rehabilitate people that have gone through that. You know, it, it's a tough call. Um, I have to wipe the slate clean for, for clients and myself, and myself included, and just do the best I possibly can and be a good person at the end of the day. That's all we can do. Right? How do you, yeah. <clears throat> how do you being a case manager, I, I'm yeah. sure you have a wide variety of different cases. How do you, how do you maintain that same level that you're giving, you know, body to uh, a pedophile that may come through or a rapist or something along those lines well, or, really or whichever do, afflicts you the most? This is my own business. I do have the choice to decline in this business. If we can't morally work with someone, and there are times that I can't, then, then we, this is what we say in this business. You need a higher level of care. And we pass them on to somebody else. Yes, I, and yes, I, so being, I was behind the wall as, as I identify, and you know, that's the most heinous, worst thing that you can do. And you can get beaten or killed behind the wall if you're, or you'll have to be PC'd, protective custody. Um, I've had, uh, yep. <laughs> Yeah, I have your walked, life. walked away from a few clients that I just couldn't do it. I said, I, I can't, I can't morally, I can't, I can't work with this person. I, I, I just, you know, I, I'll give you an example. So, so I, like I said, I wipe the slate clean. I don't, I don't always, I don't agree with that. And I don't like to work with it, but I did have one client and I remember he wrote for me behind the wall. Will you help me? This is what I've did. I, I'm a, you know child pornography and I'm like well maybe maybe they have them on medicine or something let me just and then he wrote to me and he said do you think you could help file a motion to get my computer back or maybe find me a job in a zoo what that was the end of that nope I will not take that case very there are some agencies that I will refer to because if I don't want to do it, because if I don't believe that somebody can be rehabilitated, then I'm not going to take the case and I'm not going to do it. And I have that choice. Um, will I, will I pass someone off to be placed somewhere? Yeah, but it's, it's not easy. Um, you can't place somebody that's, that's a level one, two or three. Uh, you can't place them in a, in a, in a rooming house or a sober home um, that's near a school, near a library, near a bus stop. Um, uh, so yeah, that's that's the most difficult part of my my job. Um, 
you know, how do you work with someone when you, when you really can't forgive what they did? That's tough. So I usually, I usually pass them off. I usually, but I do, it's funny. You're breaking up on me. Can you hear me now? You broke up on me. Okay. So yeah, I have that. I have that option. I like to give everyone a second chance, but I just, if I don't, if I can't deal with it, then I pass it off. And I have the right to do that. Yeah. Sure. Well, and I think that's the respectable thing to do. And that's the honest thing to do. I mean, if, Right. You know, if if I know that I'm going to be hindered by my own by my own misunderstanding or whatever it is. Right. But but I know that it's going to hinder me from hurting this person. I do. I do want this person to get the help that I know that this person needs, because the last thing I want is this person going back out into the world without getting the help that they need. You know. So I think I think that's respectable, and I think that's very honest of you. And I, I definitely think that we need more of that today. Yeah, I will refer it's just for people just to be honest. In, in that, you know, I even have I even I, I'm blessed, and I have like you know volunteer accountants, I have volunteer um, lawyers, I have all kinds of volunteers. So I do have volunteers that or, or resources that I can reach out to and say, listen, I need you to take this client, and they'll take them. So. And that's their job. And, and I'm blessed that they do that because you're right. If I'm really biased, how can I do my job and give them the best care? I can't. And it's not fair. It's not fair to me because I'm going to be angry. It's not fair to to them because they need help. So, yeah, that's what that's the way I handle that. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to. Hopefully right. one day um chatting with Body, you know, live, um, working with him and, and meeting him. Is there anything else that you want to promote to speak well, about? Just, you know to, what? To there is, there's a petition the on, online for Miss for for Body to sign to get him out. So if people want to be kind enough and and sign the change.org peti- petition to get him paroled, um, please, people, keep in mind he did not commit another crime, and that's important. Because I can understand why people would not want to sign or support somebody to get out parole. That 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 didn't change. That committed another crime. His only crime was being with yeah. his yes. probation or his his counselor's case manager yes. that was assigned to him, who just yes. happened to have yeah. a, a, a prior record. Um, send me send me okay. that link again. I know you had gave it to me. I know I signed it a while back, but send it to me. And I'm going to make sure that it's on my free me um, site on Facebook. So if anybody wants to go, you can just go to, okay. you know, free me podcast on Facebook, which is my page. Perfect. And you can sign. You, you can find so it much. there and sign it. Thank you. Absolutely. Cynthia. And thank you for the things that you do for me. I mean, I wouldn't be able to to be doing what I'm doing without your connection. So thank you. All right. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Thank you for the interview. Okay. Absolutely. Thank Thank you you for all the information. And I'll have you on again. Okay. Can you please state your name for me? Valdivia Rosado Diaz, also known as Nico Rosado. 
Why do they call you Nico? That's the name I got sentenced under. Is that your street name? Yeah, used to be. Used to be. It's not, you're not the same person anymore. So I'm gonna, so you're a former Latin king, correct? Yes. Former. And you did how many years in jail? 26 years. And, and now At you're- first, now I'm back remanded and I've been back for since September um, 24th, 2002. And that was on, you didn't commit another crime, correct? Correct. You, you, this is a technical violation, right? Yes. And the technical violation, from my understanding, is working with a convicted felon, and that would be myself, the person interviewing? Yes, who got approved to work with me. Okay. All right, so do you think anything from your past or your childhood led you into a life like you used to lead? Um, basically, yeah, there was no father figure in my household. I was the only man in the house. Was there any trauma? Uh, lots of trauma. I used to um, get abused by my father. I'm sorry to hear that. That's terrible. So, do you do you think that untreated trauma makes people angry? Yeah, it does. Okay, and uh, I mean, what? Why do you think? I mean, what? What was it that 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 you liked out of that lifestyle? Did it? Was it, I, I don't know, because I've never led that lifestyle. What, what was that? Well, basically, I didn't like it at all because you have to look over your shoulder every five minutes. So, and surviving the streets and living the streets. Okay, okay. All right. Uh, and so, if you had all that trauma and then you did 26 years behind the wall, how difficult was it when you got out? And what kind of help did or did you not receive? And then I'll ask you those other three questions that we were talking about before. Was, was it really difficult to go back into society? Um, say, repeat that question again, Mom? Because, um, uh, excuse me. Uh, what was it? Was it? Was it really difficult to go back into society when you got out? Was it hard? Yeah, it was. In a way. And without help, at the beginning, it was even harder. Sure. Um, was it? Was it hard to find jobs? Was it? Was yeah. It... Well, I was going. I, I found jobs, but I was going from job to job because of the situation with um my anxiety and um crowds and sure. so forth. I'm so I'm sorry that you experienced that. Um so what why didn't you at first when you got out what what was it? Why didn't you seek uh mental health or did you and it didn't it you weren't connecting what was it? When I first got out, there was no help. Supposedly, they were supposed to give me help. Right. Um, but 
unfortunately, the uh, place that I was staying at, a sober house, didn't have help, and they said it, it was supposed to. Okay. For, like, counseling. Then I had to do um, therapy counseling per parole. Right. And I was uncomfortable with that, with that because it's a person that I didn't trust, and I felt like... Um, since he told me everything was getting reported back to my parole, so I really didn't run off. Sure, I can understand that. I understand that. So was there, is there at some point or were you raised to think that getting mental health or, or exploring medication treatment was was a weakness or? Um, the way I was raised, um, I came from a father, he was a fluke, he was a merchant marine and studied in the martial arts and as far as mental health issues and medical issues, all signs of weaknesses and that, you know, it was taboo. Okay. But you eventually decided that you needed in fact mental health and, and medication, correct? time I came out, at the end of the time that I was in society, yes, um, I opened up and, and decided, you know what I mean, and realized that I, need, I, I needed help, and I got to accept um, my disabilities and seek for treatment. That's, a, that's, that's admirable, that is. And somebody helped you, correct? Yes, you did. Okay. What do you think, um, body, that your biggest challenges today are? My biggest challenges right now is get um, re-paroled. Okay. Um, continue my therapy sessions and and my medication doses for my um, diagnosis and my medical issues. Right. And, um, and maintain, you know, um, you know, positive, um, proactive life. Thank you. What are your goals for yourself to feel satisfied with your life? Well, my goal is to continue treatment, first and foremost. Because I know it helps. Okay. And my second is, um, you know, to um, demonstrate to the parole members that um, I am ready to, for, to for society to be out in society. Um, to, to get a legitimate job right. wherever I um I get approved to go to. So I can maintain um, and get the necessary things that I need in life. Um, to, um, Aren't you a dog trainer? Yes, and to I was about to get the... Uh, oh, excuse me, I apologize. To um, file for our, uh, business, another business license in the local area where I get um, paroled to. Right. And um, to um, fill up... up uh, uh, government grant so I could get money so I could open my my business legitimately. That's a, that's a nice goal. That's a good goal. 
Uh, if you could go anywhere in your timeline of life for 30 seconds, where would you go and how would you feel those 30 seconds? Well, I would go with, it, it, it's kind of a split 30 seconds. Okay. And, I, and, and, and I'm going to explain to you why. Okay. The first time that I got my business license for dog training. Yes. Um, and the second time that um, somebody made me realize that I didn't need your help, you know, the, the right, proper help. You, you, can know, I, you, can I, you can identify the person. It's fine. Um, the second time was when I met you and, and you demonstrated to me that I didn't need your help and with help I could I could succeed out there. Okay. Was was there a, 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 a special were there special activities, pro life activities that that you well, thought helped you um, your mental health? The first time that I got out um, I experienced, um, a special moment when my foot hit the sand yeah. on a beach. Mm-hmm, yes. And... Give me a minute. I'm trying to, trying to emotional. Thank you. I understand. It made me realize that there are good people in life. Yes. That do want to better yourself. And um. It was a wonderful feeling. Feeling that I will never trade. Thank you. Thank you. That was a good day. If if you could say anything to the youth that's maybe maybe not following a path as you once many 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 years ago knew what 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 would you what would you say to them and and if in fact suspected trauma or abuse of these gentlemen or may, maybe females too and, and um what, what what would you what would you say to them what would you say to them you know i mean i know you, you can't you can't walk up to some tough guy and just say hey you know you can't do this but but what I know I know that you did a lot of speaking engagements when you were out. So so what what would you say? How would you encourage them to go to go get help? Just tell them to keep in mind that um it's not us that we're hurting. It's our family members and and, and best friends that um um has the repercussion of our actions. Right. right. It's a, that's a tough life to live and, and, and I I know that <clears throat> I know that when I when I met you and started working with you that uh, you know you certainly 
you express such remorse for your past life. But but my job was to to get you where you need where you need to go. Um and and I appreciate the fact that that even though in my opinion <laughs> you did not deserve to be technically remanded, um you've you've done a good job and you've been really strong for this and, and you know, you, you assume accountability for, for maybe perhaps things that that you should or shouldn't. Um, so do you think when you are released that you will continue some kind of, of work? I'm, I'm thinking back to, to some of the goals that you discussed with me. Um, I guess I can identify I am your caseworker that you liked that you want a dog business, but, but I remember you telling me something about a dog business and disability. So, so that piqued my interest because per, perhaps you could elaborate on that for me. Well, dog, the day I started working with dogs, it was like an epiphany to me. It was, it was, it was my calling, basically, you know, I got to take care, you know, a living thing that, you know, was was you that was something that you were responsible for, you know? Right. And you know, all the trades that I that I learned I learned that in my heart because, you know, the passion I I have for training dogs and dogs. Right. And the good that it does, you know, when you match that dog to a person that with a disability that know that he's gonna help that person for the rest of their life, you know? Um, and not only that, you know, there's people, you know, incarcerated people that, you know, do want to change mm-hmm. and do want to um, make a difference in their life. And hopefully I could, you know, you know, give them the opportunity when I went in if I opened my business, you know, so they could experience the same thing I experienced. It was which is giving back, you know, and you know, being kind, you know, to other to others. Right. When you were when you were out and you worked with with me, um, and you went to all these facilities to speak, did that help with your anxiety? Um, did that help with your At anxiety? First, I was worried. Right. But because, you know, I gave my trust to you and, and, and I knew that, you know, you wasn't trying to get over me or, 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 you know, take advantage of me or somehow. I started speaking and it did help, you know what I mean? Because it made me realize that, you know, people want to change from the events that, you know, I spoke in their different facilities. Well, you did an incredible job. You're an incredible speaker, and I, I hope you, I hope when released, you continue to do that. What about your anxiety in crowds and grocery stores? Is that post-incarceration? Is that like years of seg? Can can you walk me through that and explain? You know. Well. There was a time that, you know, I, I did a lot of time, 
most time I did it was in a single. Okay. And interrogation because of my case. Right. No. Um, when I first started um, my sentence, uh, um, I was marked as an STG member, severe threat group member, and you know a high risk member of the um, gang. So most of my time I did it in, in, in incarceration, interrogation. Um, because of that. Um, I relied on myself and nobody else. I see. And the experiences that I had with people, especially my father. Right. In my mind, it was me, myself, and I. I see. Against the world. I see. I see. I see. Because of a special person that, you know, helped me, which is you, Thank you know, you. you know, helped me speak in different facilities, helped me go to the grocery stores, made me feel safe, right. you know, right. and made me to confide in others. Right. Um, I, I'll, you know, I'll do it all over again. Do you, do you think that that helped um, in restaurants and so forth too, little by little? It, like it helped in restaurants because at first I didn't want to go to restaurants because of the people in the crowd. Oh, I see. You know, every time I went to a restaurant, as you know, I always picked the table away from the people who were next to the door. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So, but so my, uh, you made me realize after a while, you know, going to different restaurants and... You know, being in being in a good atmosphere, that restaurant and 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 good places. Yes. Um. Unconsciously, I was not even. You have asking, one minute left. I was not even asking for, you know, that certain table at the end. Right. I'll Miss, call you back, Mr. Rosado. Okay, Jushalist. Okay. All right. No. Okay. I'm gonna call you back. Um, and after 25 minutes. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. So, I hope you guys enjoyed that discussion. I left as the bonus there in the end, um, so you got to actually hear Body's voice and and his his uh his responses. Um He sounds like a good dude, man, you know. Sounds like a really good guy that just caught up, got caught up in a lot of bad circumstances and they didn't know how to navigate those waters, you know? Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of anxious to, to be able to, to speak with Body, you know, myself and really get into, into him a little bit. Um, sounds like a good person, you know? It's tough. It's really, really tough, you know, because our 16-year-old life was, was lost, you know, at the end of the day, and I don't want to forget that, you know. And I hope Body never wants to forget that as well, which, I, I you know, from, from sounding like it, it, it sounds like 
this is something very, very heavy on him. And I don't want it to be heavy on him as well. You know? Um, so, with that, let me say this. I'm speaking to body now. In the event that body may be, may be able to listen to this at, at some point. So, body, let me let me explain this here to your partner, right? You're you're definitely much more experienced in in this lifestyle than I am, no question. And you've you've made decisions at a much higher and egregious uh, level than I ever have. I I don't I, I wouldn't even know if if I could make a decision like you have. I've never been in those circumstances. I've never been in gangs. I've been around gangs and I'm respected by gangs and I respect gangs and I respect gang members. I defend gang members because I understand. But I myself has never been in gangs because I understand that as well. Thank God some of the long-term sightedness that I had was in drug abuse and gangs because it, it I could have easily went in an alter route in either direction. But it was more along the lines of at a young age, I always knew that I wanted to be seen in life as a productive person. For me, whatever reason, that was always important to me. Not for other people to see me as uh, productive, but for me to be productive. And what I mean by that was to understand the essential life needs that life, right, the universe needed in order to, to create good fruit. I looked at myself as a seed upon this planet that was planting seeds and I was planting bad seeds for a very, very long time. We both were, right? But that's okay, partner. And what I want you to understand and realize that the decisions that you've made in your life were other people's seeds. This is, this is my message that I try to get out to people, right? They were other people's seeds. True enough, you made the decisions, but and, and in the process of making those decisions, you think that you're the big man and you think that you're in control and you think that you're making these decisions, but these decisions that you're making have been implanted in you by outside entities because you were influenced by outside entities that created you into making these decisions, right? So the important thing to understand about that is now you're a grown man. Some of these decisions have put hurdles in, in, in your way, partner. Some of these decisions have put hurdles in front of my way, right? And I understand that. This is where I blame my parents at, my, my teachers, my elders, because they didn't properly teach me as an individual, how to avoid these pitfalls and these hurdles. Sure, they would tell me at times that things were going to happen to me or, or whatever, but it wasn't um, 
it wasn't properly taught to me as an individual myself because I have I have, I always had a different way of learning and I'm finding that that's a lot of people's issues that may have been your issue you may have had a, just a different way of learning that nobody really understood but we're grown men now right so with this education that we have now we understand that I am responsible for me no one else I am responsible for me. No one else. The decisions that I made were decisions that were put in from me, into me from, from a corrupt system, let's just say. Right? It, I wasn't making decisions on who I am because I'm a loving person. I've, I've hurt people, yes. I've been an angry person in my life, yes. But that isn't who I am. I'll pick up a frog or a lizard off off the porch and sweep him outside before I kill him. I'm very, very quick to not kill because I respect all living things. Doesn't matter what it is. My biggest phobia is roaches. I hate roaches. They paralyze me. They cripple me. That's the only thing that I really... It's, it's boy, I'll tell you. Roaches, I don't know what it is, but roaches give me the heebie-jeebies. The heebie-jeebies. They do, man. And the thing of it is, is I won't even be quick to kill them. I really don't even mess with them. My, my lady knows she has to go get the roaches. I can't have bad experience with roaches. I'll grab the whatever other little creatures happen to come upon our, our path. I'll grab all of those. Bears, lions, tigers, I got all of that until they maul me. But roaches, I, okay, so moving forward, I'm <laughs> moving forward, right? So the point is, is that I respect all life. They're, they're here for a reason. And I, so I've, I'm, I'm not a person that wants to hurt. I want things to flourish because I understand now as a grown man that everything is just trying to survive in this world for which it was placed upon to do just that, to survive. And it survives with the tools that it was given to survive with. So now, brother, it changed my life because now I make my own decisions. I decide when I get mad. I decide when I get sad. I decide what decisions I want to make, not influenced by anyone else. If this man is in my face and he's yelling at me and he's screaming obscenities and he's talking about my children and how, how inefficient I am as a father, it doesn't matter to me. Why? Because the man is a fool. He's a fool, one, because he don't know who I am. He may be seeing some of my actions and he may be gauging those actions, but he don't know why I committed those actions. Again, the research is limited. It's face value. And we're taking people's face value opinions every day and we're letting them influence how we decide to conduct ourselves. And this is obviously what you've been doing throughout your life. I have too, and it's okay. The reason why I'm sharing this with you, body, is because this 
is what is going to allow you to be at peace with yourself, right? To be at peace with yourself. You weren't making decisions based upon body. You were making other people's decisions. Even though you felt like you were the big man making the decisions, you weren't. Now is the time you make your own decisions, right? So, with that being said, this is how you approach your parole board. This is how you parole, you know, you approach your, your parole officer. This is how you approach every individual that you encounter from here on out. You are in control of you. Nobody else. If somebody is saying something about you, body, that is not true, it should have no infliction upon you whatsoever. If you if it raises one one hair on your body or on your neck, you have to ask yourself, why is this inflicting me? There has to be truth in it. I have to believe it somewhere. So it's not the person's fault that's delivering this truth to you. But you thank that person because now this person is, in, is, is enlightening you to something about you that you obviously did not know. This is how we become humble, brother. If you're showing me something that I'm finding true about myself, I'm not going to be mad at you for it. I'm going to thank you. Thank you for sharing that with me because it's obviously bothering me. I, I feel inflicted by what you're saying, so I'm going to sit back and I'm going to reflect on that. This is how we have to conduct ourselves and be honest with ourselves and truthful. So, body, I know... You've made some egregious decisions in your life, brother, that you're going to carry with you for the rest of your life, you know. And what I'm telling you is, is it's okay. I pray for the young man's life that was lost because he could have been something great. Who knows? He could have been something evil. Who knows? We'll never know. And that's by your hand. And what I'm saying is that's okay because you are alive and in my belief it is your responsibility now to represent the soul that you took from this life right so that's just my belief I don't believe in incarceration for life do people need to be incarcerated I absolutely do believe in that until that individual can get a grip on, on society, a grip on his life or her life. They absolutely do. Because life isn't about cruelty. Life isn't about harming people. Life is about growing and fruition and getting along with one another, all in unison, knowing that everyone is different, but being humble enough to understand that I am no different than you. That is what life is about. It's harmonious. From the smallest of specks to the biggest of, of boulders, everything works in harmony. You see it every day when you look and you watch the wind blow. The wind blows the tree leaves. The tree leaves moves the branch. When the branch moves, an acorn falls. When the acorn falls, a squirrel runs up, takes the acorn back to the nest. All of these things work in unison. They all work together. Everything is harmonious, and we have to be part of that harmony. So, body, I wish you well, partner. You, you sound good. You know, 
you sound confident and i and i and i got a lot of respect for what you're doing you know and what you have done that in itself is man's work as i like to say you know that's man's work and just continue doing that but body most importantly over anything else do not lie to yourself if you're doing something that you have to lie to yourself about then do not do it brother just be honest with yourself and all of that will will come out people will be able to see it real recognizes real you know that right so you know that as long as you're real with yourself you're going to attract real people around you and this is how we find people that we can ultimately end up trusting again which is another issue, big issue for me. So, body, I wish you well, partner. I hope to meet you one day, you know. And um, and I'm here for you. If you ever need to reach out, talk, rap, whatever, I'm here for you. Cynthia is here for you. Great lady. Love this lady already. Can't wait to give her a hug one day. So you'll be able to give her a hug before I will. So give her a hug for me. And until then... Just be easy, partner. Be yourself. Be easy. Be safe. Wear your mask.